If you would, go ahead and turn to Psalm 100. Now we're told in Scripture, we are told to be thankful. Paul reminds the church in, in the New Testament, he reminds them to be thankful. He tells the Philippian churches, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your, let your considerate spirit be known to all men. The Lord is near. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and petition. With thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. He reminds the Thessalonica church, he reminds them something similar. He says, rejoice always, pray without ceasing, and everything give thanks, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. So I say that this morning, and I, I hope you understand right here, right out of the gate, that scripture is harmonizing for us. It is singing to us a song of thanksgiving. It's not just a New Testament command, but it is an Old Testament command as well. It's not just the way the Jewish people were supposed to live in Israel, but it's the way the Christians should live everywhere, every day. So let's read our text this morning, beginning in verse 1. It says, Make a loud shout to Yahweh, all the earth. Serve Yahweh with gladness. Come before him with joyful songs. Know that Yahweh, he is good. He is God. Sorry, he is God. It is he who has made us and not we ourselves. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him. Bless his name. For Yahweh is good. His loving kindness endures forever and his faithfulness generation unto generation. A few weeks ago, I preached on the actions of worship, what we are to do when we worship, as we herald him, as we keep him hallowed, we keep him holy, and we, we hail him. But this psalm today really speaks more to the heart of the worshiper, not just their actions, but their heart, how we show true biblical thanksgiving in our worship and in our lives. And I want you to understand this this morning. If you're taking notes, you may want to write this down. Thanksgiving is not just one day a year for the Christian. It is the Christian way of living. It's the Christian way of life. When we read the Psalms and we, we get into these here in, in the, this section of the Psalms, beginning in verse, or sorry, chapter 93, from Psalm 93 all the way to Psalm 100 where we're at today, they are called enthronement psalms. These are psalms that are shouting to us and singing to us of God's kingship. And here in Psalm 100, we're reaching the conclusion or the climax, really, of, of their message, all they're saying. So throughout this message, I, I'll probably be quoting several of those chapters as we go. Now we don't know much about this particular psalm as far as uh, the time it was written. We don't know who wrote this psalm and we don't know the context within which they wrote it other than it is one of those things that is uh, an enthronement, enthronement psalm. It's a psalm of thanksgiving. In fact, you'll see that in the superscript right under the chapter of your Bible, it will say a psalm of thanksgiving. So that when we sing it, and we are to sing the Psalms, when we sing it, we know kind of what we're to do with it, right? It, that it's, it's a psalm, a song that we sing with thanksgiving 
within our heart. And for the Christian, like I said, it is a, a lifestyle for us to be thankful. And I believe that's the, what the text is telling us. But we might say, well, what does that look like? We know what worship looks like on the outside, but what does worship look like inside? When I'm worshiping, what am I feeling? What am I thinking? How am I, how am I to focus? Well, the question becomes, what's the position of your heart? What's the position of your mind? That's, that's what makes up the internal being. So as we pray, as we sing, as we read our Bibles, as we share our faith with the people around us, that's, that's what we do. Where is our heart? Where's our mind? And we see the answer to that within our text. The Christian way of life is, is to enjoy him. In fact, the Westminster Confession says the, the purpose of man is to worship God and enjoy him forever. John Piper says we, he, God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in him. We are expected to enjoy God. That's what you enjoy, good relationships, right? So we are to enjoy him and we are to know him. That's why he gives us his word. To know him and understand him. We're not going to get the whole picture necessarily. Because God is, so, as Isaiah says, so far above us. But we, we get to know him. To have that relationship and know about him. And most importantly, those two things lead us to being thankful for him. And so the first thing I want us to focus on this morning is enjoying him. Do you enjoy, I want to ask you this question, and I, I don't answer out loud, please, nobody answer this out loud, but in your sermon notes on your bulletin or, or, or scrap piece of paper, whatever you got, I want you to answer these questions and, and think about them throughout the week. First and foremost, do you enjoy your relationship with Christ? Because if you don't, there's a problem, right? Do you enjoy worship? Do you enjoy church? Do you enjoy fellowship with other believers? Do you enjoy prayer? Do you enjoy Bible study? These are all parts of your relationship with Christ. Do you enjoy those things? Do you ever just sit in silence and enjoy the presence of God? If not, there might be a problem. The psalmist is calling us to do that, to do all these things in a sense this morning. And not just this morning, but always. Verses 1 and 2, it says, Make a loud shout to Yahweh, all the earth. Serve Yahweh with gladness. Come before him with joyful songs. Make a loud shout to Yahweh. Right? That, who's Yahweh? Well, that's God. That's the Lord. That's the proper name of God. We understand that. But we're instructed to make a loud shout you probably heard it translated as make a joyful noise, right? That's probably, this is probably the easiest commandment for me to live up to because when I sing, it's a noise, right? It's a lot of noise. Sometimes I compare it to a coyote in a blender. You laughed a little too hard at that. Sometimes it's translated shout joyfully. But the meaning here is a little more than that. Shout joyfully. How many times do we come to church and it's, oh, okay, Lord, I'll sing. Now this morning, our worship was beautiful, by the way. It really was. That hymn just gets me. And they are so underutilized in the church today. The hymns are beautiful songs filled with wonderful doctrine and spiritual truth. And Great is thy faithfulness. 
If you know his faithfulness, how could that not bring you to tears? It just was a, man, good job, worship team. <laughs> uh, but that we come to church, we don't have that joyful shout. Some people may shout at their pastor, right? Or at somebody in the foyer or something like that. that there might be a shout, but it's not necessarily joyful. The Hebrew word here is heiriu, and it means to, uh, to raise a war cry. It means to cheer. All right. Try this again. Okay. This microphone is a thorn in the flesh, I'm telling you, if you get that reference. Uh, but this idea of, of raising a cheer, raising a war cry, it keeps that imagery of God alive that he is a warrior who fights for his people. We shout joyfully, not because God is on our side, but because we desperately want to be on his side. We desperately want to be in step with him. This echoes Psalm 66 and Psalm 95. And I'm just going to grab a different microphone because I don't know about you, but that, that is getting ridiculous. All right, better? Might want to turn me down or turn me up or whatever. Jacob, thank you. Let's try this again. All right. This is echoing Psalm uh, 66, Psalm 95, Psalm 98. This is, this is a message of the Psalms. Psalm 66, 1. Make a loud shout to God, all the earth. Psalm 95, 1. Oh, come, let us sing for joy to Yahweh. Let us make a loud shout to the rock of our salvation. Psalm 98, 4. Make a loud shout to Yahweh, all the earth. Break forth and sing for joy and sing praises, Psalm 98, 6. With trumpets and the sound of the horn, make a loud shout before King Yahweh. Who's to do this? Who's to shout? All the earth. All the earth. The wording means it goes beyond just God's people, but to all of creation, all of the peoples of the earth. Because whether they like it or not, whether they're aware of it or not, God is still King. The shout itself is, is telling us, be loyal to him. It's a shout of loyalty. It's paying homage. And, and even more than that, it is a call to him to be our protector. To watch over us. To guard us. 1 Samuel 10 says, is a great example of this as we see Saul made king. Now very rarely will you hear anybody use Saul as an illustration of God, but... But here we go. Saul was a wicked king. We understand that. But when he was announced as king in 1 Samuel 10, 24, all the people shouted, long live the king. They shout because if you go back a couple of pages in 1 Samuel, he's, the, the people go to Samuel and, and they say that they want a king that we also may be like all the other nations, that our king may judge us and go out before us and fight our battles they want a king to do god's job is what they come to that's why god tells samuel it's not you they're rejecting here it's me and so they make saul this king and we can all agree he was a bad king he was a wicked king but the people wanted him because they want a king who fights on their behalf just they wanted to be different just like all the other nations right 
So they shout, we've got a king. And the connection is, we have a better king. We have Christ Jesus as our king. How can we not shout? How can we not be excited about that? How can we not be joyful about that? How can we not be thankful about that? You know, Israel, when they got Saul, they got a king who was head and shoulders bigger than any man in all of Israel. That's what Scripture tells us. So he's about a foot taller. He's about six foot six is what most scholars think. He, he stood that much taller than everybody else, which even by today's standards, he'd be in the NBA, right? Six foot six. He's a big guy. But our king is so great and so big, he carves the oceans with his fingertips. In fact, Isaiah tells us he's not just a head taller. He's so great and so big and so vast, he uses the earth itself as his footstool. How much more should the church shout for their God and their king? If we enjoy our king, we should not be afraid to shout joyfully for him. To yell his war cry. So we should shout, but we should also serve. The psalmist says, serve Yahweh with gladness. What does that even mean? What does that look like? To serve in Hebrew, it's the word ibdu. And it means to toil, to work, to accomplish his goals, to accomplish his purpose. But we're to do this, he says, with Gladness, the Hebrew word there, besim semech, it's in jubilation, in joy, with great pleasure. We're to find pleasure in the work we do for God, in, the, in what we do around the church, and what we, as we share Jesus. That should be a joy to us. I was talking with a friend of mine. We haven't had a, a face-to-face conversation since 2006, me and this guy. He recently, about, about eight months ago, he became a pastor in another state and just messaged me out of nowhere on Facebook. We're Facebook friends, but that doesn't mean you're friends, okay? For some of you people, I hate to break the news to you. You might have 2,000 friends on Facebook. You're not really friends, all right? Uh, you might be friendly. That's awesome, but, but they don't know you. You're not close, okay? And, and that's how my relationship with this guy has been since we graduated college. Nice guy, but he lives in a different part of the country. We don't have that much in common anymore. And, you know, we're not, we're not living across the hall from each other in the dorms. But he messages me out of nowhere on Facebook. And he says, Jeff, you're a small town pastor. And I think you can relate to what I'm going through. Can, can we talk? Okay. Hi, by the way. You know, uh, how are the kids? <laughs> no, it just jumps right into it. Okay. All right. I said, yeah, we can talk. And I was at the Sugar Palette. And we just did a video chat right there. It was kind of awkward. Uh, nobody else was there. It was just me and him, I guess. And uh, he starts telling me, he says, Jeff, I'm just tired of conflict. I've been here eight months, and I'm so sick and tired of being yelled at all the time. He said, the, the ladies in my church, they're mean to my wife. They, they alienate her. Uh, they tell her how she, she leads worship for them, and they tell her how she does everything wrong, but they don't want to help either. He said, last night, he said, last night I lost a board member. He sat, and, he sat and yelled at me for three hours straight, and I just took it. And I know this guy. He's not the type of guy to do that. But he said, I just let him have it out because, frankly, 
I, I was glad he was leaving and I didn't really care. He said, I just don't know what to do. I'm tired of the same battles over and over with the same people over the same things again and again. Been there, done that, right? Came to the right place, buddy. Here I am. What do you need? So we prayed and we talked and I said, I got to ask you something. I said, do you still have joy in your work? Do you still look forward to preaching and look forward to teaching every week? Do you find joy even in those difficult board meetings? Do you find it, do you find it hard or do you find it joyful to come to church on Sunday? That's a question you have to ask as a pastor often, by the way. He didn't even hesitate. He said, that's the only thing that keeps me going. So I said, you know, that's sometimes that's what keeps me going too. So it keeps everybody, every pastor going. Sometimes it feels like your church takes three steps forward and two steps back. I said, his name's Roger. I said, Roger, do you believe that Scripture is on your side? Can you prove your case with this board member using Scripture alone? He says, yeah. I said, okay. I said, do you believe the positions of the assemblies of God are on your side. Oh yeah, yeah, actually this guy was teaching a class and teaching in direct opposition and causing a lot of division in the church. And I had to remove him about some things and I said, okay. I said, do you believe church history is on your side with some of the things he was teaching? Yeah, yeah. I said, then you just let those folks who want to fight, just let them fight because they're not fighting against you. They're fighting against the Holy Spirit. They're fighting against Scripture. They're fighting against church history. So what you are going to do is you let them know that you're going to outlove them and you're going to outwork them and you're going to be faithful. And you pray God bless them. And if they can't stop fighting you, stop pushing against you, you'll be happy to help them find another church because sometimes you have to do that. And it's a hard thing to do, and it's a hard thing to say, but I said, if you're always fighting, if they're always fighting, they don't, it's not necessarily you they're fighting, they're upset with, it's, it's God. And he said, yeah, that's, that's what happened. He said, the guy left. He said there was no joy in his labor anymore, there's no joy in his service, and so he, he had to find another place to go. This board member was just over it, he said, and when he walked out of the room, he said, it was like a splinter under my fingernail, I forgot was there, was removed. He said it was just, I'd gotten so used to the hurt, so used to the problems that he was constantly causing, that when this, when this splinter was removed, it was such a relief I didn't even know I was ready for. But he said, I just, I'm just, I don't want the next battle. And I said, welcome to the ministry. It's hard on purpose. It's not supposed to be easy. But I said, I'll keep praying for you. But if you cannot serve God in gladness, it's time to reevaluate why you're serving and where you're serving. And most importantly, and this applies to all of us, by the way, if you cannot serve God in gladness, then it's time to reevaluate why you're serving, where you're serving, and most importantly, who it is you're serving. Because if you're just doing it for yourself, you're doing it for the wrong reason. We're commanded over and over in Scripture to serve and to sacrifice with gladness. In Deuteronomy 12, 12, it says, You shall be glad before Yahweh your God, you and your sons and your daughters. And he goes on. It's not just a promise. It's a command. It's a command to find joy in what we, we do for the Lord. 
We see this in our text this morning. and We see it later in, in Deuteronomy. In Deuteronomy, there's this whole section where God lists all these blessings. He says, if you do this, if you, if you follow my rules, if you do these things, I will bless you. But if you make me your enemy, if you decide you hate me, if you, if you come against me, there's going to be a curse. But this is what he says. Here's how he starts. Listen to this. He says, because you did not serve Yahweh your God with gladness, and a merry heart. Because of the abundance of all things, therefore you shall serve your enemies, whom the Lord will send against you in hunger and thirst and nakedness and the lack of all things. And he'll put an iron yoke upon your neck until he's destroyed you. See, Israel was blessed so much, and this ends up happening to them. They were blessed so much, and because of the abundance of all the good things they had, and they, they got complacent, and they didn't have gladness, they didn't have a merry heart, and so now they're going to serve their enemies. You know, this, the truth is we all serve someone, ultimately. Every one of us. We either serve the, the God of Scripture, or we serve a God of our own making. One brings joy, true joy, and one brings shame and eventually death. So we enjoy him as we serve him with gladness. And we come before him, the scripture tells us this morning, we come before him with joyful songs. We rejoice in him. We, we play music. We sing Songs, joyful songs to him. Psalm 95, 2. Let us come before his presence with thanksgiving. Let us make a loud shout to him with songs of praise. This is what we do when we enjoy, right? We sing songs about a lot of things. But most importantly, we sing songs about our God whom we love. The Apostle Paul tells us, I'll say it again, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I'll say rejoice. You know, the key word within rejoice is joy. Do we enjoy rejoicing in the Lord? Do we enjoy Him? He commands the Colossian church. He says, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly with all wisdom, teaching, and admonishing one another with psalms, with hymns, with spiritual songs, singing with gratefulness in your hearts to God. You understand, our songs, no matter how good or how bad you may sing, okay, and I'm preaching to myself here as well, it is a joyful offering to the Lord that we enjoy Him. And we as a church enjoy Him together when we come together in worship. So we thank Him together because we enjoy Him together. We shout joyfully. We serve with gladness. We come before Him with joyful songs. And we enjoy our God. That's, that's the Christian way of life. And second, we know Him. We're told to know him. He says in verse 3, Know, right there, right? Know that Yahweh, he is God. It is he who has made us and not we ourselves. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. You know, when you enjoy something, it changes how you act about it, right? You like ice cream? What are you going to do? Eat more ice cream. You enjoy a good movie, you're going to watch it again, right? You enjoy a TV show, you're going to tune in for the next episode, so on and so forth. When we enjoy God, it changes our actions. But when we know something, that changes our heart and therefore also changes how we act. Know that Yahweh, He is God. The word know here means to realize, to learn the fact that He is 
God. It's to be completely assured of the truth. Well, what's the truth? That He is God. Now, God is is kind of this general term, and I'll, I'll get to that in a second, but it's also a very personal term. The God of the Bible is not a distant God. He is close by. And many people don't understand Him. We, we, we get our minds boggled and we just say, well, I'm just going to be done with it and I'll just come to church and sing whatever, right? But Scripture is very clear that one of the most important Scriptures that we can read is Deuteronomy 6.4. Hear, O Israel, Yahweh our God, Yahweh is one. Jesus said to understand that, to love Him, is the most important command for His followers. So we know that He is one and we are to love Him. He is God in three persons. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Now when we try to describe that, we often fall into some really unbiblical or heretical thing. But really, what the best way to say it is, God the Father is not the Son, is not the Spirit. The Son is not the Father, and He's not the Spirit. The Spirit is not the Father, and He's not the Son. There are all three distinct persons, but they are all God. They are all one. This is called the, the doctrine of the Trinity. It's very hard to describe. It's hard to understand. And yet, it is a reality in knowing him. Jesus said, I and the Father are one. Jesus is very clearly saying in that statement that he is, in fact, God. Genesis 1-2 tells us the Spirit of God was hovering over the surface of the waters. So the Holy Spirit is present in creation. Jesus makes it very clear for one to be born again. They have to be born again of the Spirit. We know the Father is God. Jesus tells us when we pray, what's he say? Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. We're to pray to the Father. So when this psalm tells us, know that Yahweh, He is God, who is He referring to? Is He referring to the Father? Is He referring to the Son? Is He referring to the Spirit? The answer is yes! Yes, He's referring to all three in one. It is He who made us. We know the Father created. We know the the Spirit was there. We know that Jesus was present in creation, the pre-incarnate Christ, as we often call Him. John makes this very clear, the Gospel of John. He says, in the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. The Word was God. And the Word is a word He uses to describe Jesus. He, meaning Jesus, or He, meaning the Word, makes it a personal thing. He was in the beginning with God. All things came into being through him. Apart from him, nothing came into being that has come into being. So when we are to know Yahweh, when we know he is God, we know he is the God who created us. He made us. Not just one person of the Trinity, but all three persons combined. We know all three personally. It's not just a general thing, but a very personal thing we can have a relationship with the father through the son led by the spirit we have a relationship with the father sorry we are saved by the father through the son's atonement on the cross we're justified and we are sanctified by the holy spirit in our lives in other words salvation itself is a trinitarian act within the believer we come to know god in that moment And we come to call Him Lord. And we confess with our mouth. We believe in our heart that Jesus Christ is Lord. 
The idea of knowing God, it goes back to this idea that I've, I've kind of harped on this in recent sermons. It's this idea of having good theology, a good knowledge of who God is. If your theology is off, your worship will be off. If you don't know God right, your worship will be wrong. It's that simple. If your worship is wrong, your thanksgiving will be misguided. Because it is in Him we worship. Not in anyone else. Not through anyone else. Certainly not from ourselves. The psalmist makes that very clear. He he says, He made us. not, Not ourselves. David says in Psalm 139, For you, and he's talking to God, For you form my inward parts. You wove me in my mother's womb. I'll give thanks to you, for I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works, and my soul knows it very well. If we don't know him, if we don't know him as our creator, our maker, we cannot give him proper thanks for what he's done. This almost may not just be talking about our creation, by the way, but the fact that he has made his people and how his spirit calls us to him. No one can come to the Father, sorry, no one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him and I'll raise him up on the last day, Jesus said in John 6, 44. We saw last week, salvation belongs to the Lord. He gives it freely because Christ paid the price. All we have to do to receive it is submit to him, receive his salvation, and he makes us, he takes us and makes us his. We become a part of his, the Greek word is ecclesia, we become a part of his church. Jesus said, I will build my church and the gates of Hades will not overpower it. You understand that the pastor doesn't build the church and the people don't even build the church? Someone asked a pastor I respect, they said, how much authority do you have in the church? He said, none. I'm just a steward of what God's given me. We have to do what we can in the role that he's placed us. Now, we make up his church because we're the people he has made. We only serve and we are used by him for the building of the church. We are the screwdrivers, the hammers, and and some of us are the screw looses. But just kidding. Bad joke. Uh, We're the nuts and bolts and uh, (laughs) not... That analogy just starts to fall apart. But we're the tools in his hand that he uses to build his kingdom. This is how he makes us, us. How he makes us the church. Because we're his people. We're the sheep of his pasture. Obviously, this is drawing on Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Psalm 100 wraps up thoughts from Psalm 93 to Psalm 99. Like I said, he's he's no doubt referring back to Psalm 95. For he is our God and we are the people of his pasture and the sheep of his hand. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts, he says. Isaiah goes on, he says, Like a shepherd, he will shepherd his flock. In his arm, he will gather the lambs and carry them in his bosom. He will gently lead the nursing ewes. When we know him as shepherd, we can be thankful to him, thankful for him, and say like David, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will not fear any evil because your rod and your staff are with me. If we do not know God as our shepherd, we will not thank him as such. If we don't know him right, we will worship him wrong. Ezekiel tells us this, As for you, my sheep, the sheep of my pasture, you are men and I am your God, declares the Lord Yahweh. In other words, God knows us. God knows everything about you. He knows the number of the hair on your head. Hairs on your head. 
But the question becomes then, do we know him? Do we seek to know him? If we do, our thanksgiving will not just be once a year as we gather around a turkey with our family, but it'll be daily thankfulness for who he is because we know who he is and we cherish who he is and we are thankful for what he's done. And that brings me to the last point this morning that culminates in thanking him. And I'd ask you this morning, do you thank him? Are you thankful for what he's done and is doing in your life? The psalmist says in verse 4, Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him. Bless his name. Enjoying him and knowing him will lead to us thanking him. We enter his gates. This truly means we are to gather within his gates or, or be brought within the gatehouse. That's what that means. When we're thankful for him, we, we gather to him. We gather to him and we bring others with us as we do this. Hey, you know what? I'm so thankful. I want you to also be thankful. I want you also to understand and share in what I'm thankful for. People will, sh- will do that. They will share what they're truly thankful for. Whether it's their faith or their church, their favorite sports team, their children's accomplishments, what they are thankful for, people will make known to the world around them. You don't have to question what political party somebody's a part of anymore. We wear it on our t-shirts and our hats. And just in case you missed it, it's on the bumper of their car. Doesn't take any probing to find out what somebody's favorite film is or their favorite sport. If they really like it, Whatever their source of entertainment is. So it follows then, it should not take much to push a person to tell others about their relationship with Jesus Christ when they are truly thankful for it. Amen? Okay, you're still awake. All right. We enter his gates with thanksgiving. That's the Hebrew word. It's fun to remember. It's todah. Like ta-da. But not the same thing. Todah. It means we come to him singing a song of praise, offering thanks for deeds God has done. It's usually accompanied, though. This is the hard thing. It's accompanied by sacrifice. What sacrifice do we bring in our worship? What sacrifice do we bring in our thankfulness? I want you to hear me on this this morning. Absolutely none. It should never cost a person a single cent to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ where God sacrificed his son on our behalf that we might be saved. Where, as Paul says, he made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Because our thankfulness, our gratefulness, our worship is made possible through the sacrifice of Christ. That's how, it's because of him we, we have peace with God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. I said this last week, you cannot have the peace of God until you have peace with God. We enter his gates and we gather in, we bring others with him in thanksgiving. We're entering his courts with praise, but are we thankful? Are we thankful for him? And this portrait, by the way, that the, that the psalmist is making is a very public 
relationship with God. It's not one we're to be ashamed about. It's not one we try to hide. It's, it's one that we openly proclaim and shout to the world around us. The word praise is the word tehillah, and it means to glorify, to offer words of homage as an act of worship. It's an open declaration of the goodness of God. Now, somebody watching online, because we're all good Christians here, someone watching online will watch this and probably say, well, for me, religion is supposed to be a private thing. Okay, fine, keep your religion private, your doctrine, your practices, all those things you want, but your relationship with Jesus Christ was never meant to be a quiet, private thing. If it was, why'd the disciples get martyred for it? It's an open thing. It's a, it's a thing we sing about. It's a thing we shout about. Now, I'm going to tell you a story to illustrate this point. From my first year of marriage, and this, uh, uh, guys, please keep this in the room, okay? Because my wife is incredibly embarrassed by this story. And that's half the fun of telling it. But you know, when you're, that first year of marriage, no matter how long you dated, no matter how well you know each other, that first year of marriage, you are still finding things out about one another. You had an idea, but now it's reality, Right? Now, I'm, I'm telling a separate story to give context to the main thing, okay? So just follow me. This is kind of a little rabbit trail. But one day I was reading a paper. I knew my wife's family, for example. I knew they weren't really sports people. They didn't really care. They never subscribed to ESPN, okay? Don't care about it. Don't know. Don't want it in our house. Not that they thought it was wicked or evil. Just never was their thing. So one morning I was reading in a paper and I said, wow, this is 2006, 2006. 2007, by the way. Sorry, 2000, yeah, 2006, 2007. And I said, wow, Barry Bonds just passed Babe Ruth. Now, I have a Barry Bonds rookie card somewhere in storage. And, and so my thought was, hey, that card just went up in value. And you all know what, I mean, if you pay attention to sports, you know what I'm referring to, that Barry Bonds had broken the career home run record of Babe Ruth. It was a big deal. And soon he'd be passing Hank Aaron. And I'm sitting there, man, Barry Bonds passed Babe Ruth? That's so huge. And Jennifer goes, dead face, looks at me and goes, like on the highway? <laughs> Babe Ruth had been dead for I don't know how many decades. Okay? That's, she just, she's like, I knew he was dead. It just was weird. He passed him? Like, did he just walk over his grave? What happened? You know? So I learned in that moment, Wow. Yeah, they really don't watch sports in the Omdahl home. So when I tell you that I knew my wife liked Lefsa, okay, I knew she liked Lefsa. My wife lives for Lefsa, all right? She loves that stuff. I'm from Southern Illinois. I had never, until we dated, I didn't know what Lefsa was. By the way, if you don't know what it is, it is a potato-based tortilla. That's all it is. It's not that big a deal. It's not. Somebody out there, yes, it is. No, it's not. My wife likes to put butter and sugar on it. Okay? We've met people since then that put all sorts of weird things on Lefsa. Ketchup, uh, other types of jellies that just taste gross, uh, certain syrups. Uh, it's a great way to fast-track yourself to diabetes. But I don't, I don't get it. 
one morning, okay, this was our first Christmas break. We were married. My wife's mom made her a stack of lefsa. By the way, of that stack, I think I had one piece. All right, it's just a little scope here. Jennifer gets up very early, and I hear her. She doesn't know that I'm awake. And when I say we are thankful for things, when we love things, we sing about them. I hear my wife humming this beautiful little tune. And my wife does not like to sing publicly, but she does have a pretty good voice. And I hear her from the kitchen sing, Lafsa, what a wonderful treat. <laughs> that was my reaction. That was my reaction. I laughed too. And she was so embarrassed. And for now 18 years, I wasn't allowed to tell that story. But now that I'm a pastor, I told her that's part of the gig. So whether you like it or not, I'm telling that story to illustrate the fact that when we truly love something, we sing about it. What was my wife singing about? A funny taco shell, really, right? And by the way, do not go to my wife and say, Lefsa, what a wonderful trip. Please don't do that. But you are more than welcome to give her Lefsa. She'll love you for life. Okay? Pretty sure when I proposed to her, I should have gave her a loaf of Lefsa. Instead of a ring, she'd been just as happy. But Jen was thankful for that. She was thankful her mom gave that to us. And when we are thankful for who God truly is, we sing his praises. We show thanksgiving. It's something that should flow as naturally out of us as a little song on a Saturday morning. Again, please do not say that anything to Jennifer, okay? She will get very bright-faced about that. <laughs> and I will be in so much trouble. <laughs> Shut up. <laughs> She's probably in there just Thanks, Dan. <laughs> I'm not going to finish the sermon. I better go work on my marriage. No, just kidding. Um, but we give thanks to God in order to bless him because he's blessed us. The psalmist says in Psalm 96, Sing to Yahweh, bless His name, proclaim good news of His salvation from day to day. We love Him, we praise Him, we worship Him, and we share Him because we know Him and we enjoy Him and we're thankful for Him. Because, the psalmist says in verse 5, For Yahweh is good. His loving kindness endures forever. And his faithfulness generation unto generation. He is good. This actually echoes here, 1 Chronicles 16. Give thanks to Yahweh for he's good, for his loving kindness endures forever. It's almost word for word the same thing. We believe God is good all the time. Remember that? That was fun back in youth group days. God is good? All the time. All the time? God is good. Hey, you guys remember it too. And if he's good all the time, we're thankful for him all the time. When Israel was returning home from exile, when they were coming back to the homeland, they saw the goodness and the faithfulness of God because he was bringing them back to their land. And the people, Ezra tells us, Ezra says, they gathered as one man. They came together. They're unified. They're together. And what do they start to do as they're rebuilding the temple? He tells us in verse 11, Ezra 3.11, they sang, praising and giving thanks to Yahweh, saying, for He is good. His loving kindness endures forever upon Israel. And all the people shouted with a great shout when they praised Yahweh because the foundation of the house was laid. 
What makes him good? He's faithful. Jesus said there is nobody good but God. What makes him truly good? The psalmist tells us his loving kindness endures forever. Therefore, give thanks to Yahweh for he's good for his loving kindness endures forever. Loving kindness, some of you have heard me talk about this in the past, is the Hebrew word chesed. And it is a faithful love. It is a steadfast, loyal love. It is a love that does not change with our circumstances. The Greek equivalent in the New Testament is the word agape. And it's a love that endures all hardships, a love that endures all sins and offenses. That's the love of God. It is absolute. It's a love that forgives. For God so loved the world, He gave His only begotten Son, that whoever believes should, have, should not perish but have eternal life. This is what makes God good. Because that love is eternal. And not just His loyal, steadfast love, but His faithfulness. The Hebrew word is imunah, and it means His trustworthiness, His honesty, His intense relentlessness. That's what that word means. Think about that. His faithfulness means intense relentlessness. Now, I talked about my wife. I'm going to tell something about myself here. Okay? This is your pastor kind of getting on a soapbox a little bit, all right? I absolutely have come to hate the song Reckless Love. I'm sorry, Patty. I hate it. I, ha I just, I have. It's like nails on a chalkboard now every time I read it or hear it or, or hear somebody singing it. Because. God is not reckless. Now I know Corey's logic behind it. He said it's like from the outside looking in, it appears reckless, but that's, that's a cop-out. Reckless is just more marketable. We understand that. God is not a reckless God, but he is a relentless God. Leaving the 99 to search after the one is not reckless because the 99 are going to be okay on their own. They have each other. But the shepherd searches for the one lost sheep relentlessly. In fact, I know some churches who've changed the lyrics to say relentless love. We're the sheep of his pasture. He relentlessly pursues us. That is one of the things that makes God good. If you're that one sheep, if you're lost, if you're wondering, if, if you're the prodigal son, God is relentlessly pursuing you. He's saying, come home. I'm good. I've heard someone say, well, God says he's good, but he also says he's jealous. Being jealous isn't good. Well, actually, if you read the context of where he says that, he has a right to his jealousy. Exodus 20, verse 5, you shall not worship them. And he's talking about other idols, other gods. You shall not worship them or serve them, for I, Yahweh, your God, am a jealous God. And I'm going to skip down for a second here. But showing loving kindness to thousands, to those who love me and keep my commandments, he says. You see, God is jealous for you because God loves you. We're the church. We're called the bride of Christ. And newsflash, God is a jealous groom for his bride. If the bride goes after another lover, if the bride goes after something else or someone else, the groom has a righteous jealousy, has a right to that righteous jealousy. He's jealous because he's a good groom Wanting his bride. Now there's something I left out of verse 5. 
God says, for those who hate him, he will visit iniquity upon the fathers, on the, on the children, on the third and fourth generations. We call this a generational curse. And I bring this up because this has become a buzzword in a lot of Christian circles lately, the idea of a general cur generational curse. But again, I want to point out what God said very next. He said, he shows loving kindness to thousands, to those who love me and keep my commandments. What did Jesus say? If you love me, you will keep my commandments. Church, I want to tell you, when you hear people talking about this, understand one thing. Every generational curse is broken through the cross of Christ. You may be hearing this today and you're saying, well, I'm thankful for God. I, I, I think I know God, but I come from a family that, and just fill in the blank. I, I, I talked with a young lady a while back. I come from a family, the moms are all crazy, and I don't want to be the crazy mom. I, came, I talked with a friend. I, I come from a family of alcoholics, and that's a generational curse. And I'm telling you right now, that curse is broken through the blood of Christ Jesus on the cross. Be the cycle breaker. Don't use that as an excuse to continue in sin. That has no power over you through the cross of Christ. It is broken. It cannot and it will not return. That is the power of the cross. That is the power of our God. You see, the psalmist chooses his words very carefully. He says, generation unto generation, and there are no generational curses in those who are under the blood of Christ Jesus. There is no generational curse greater than Jesus Christ because he's good, because his loving kindness endures forever, and because he's faithful. And because of all those things, we can be thankful every single day. I'm going to move to close. I'm going to ask the worship team to come back up. But I want to close with some hard questions this morning. And if you will, maybe write down your answer or, or come back and watch this later when it's on YouTube or Facebook. But the first thing is, do you enjoy your relationship with God? If not, why not? And you need to unpack that. Ask yourself, do you enjoy worship? Do you enjoy gathering with other believers? Do you enjoy your time here at Faith Assembly of God? Do you enjoy hearing the Word of God? Second, do you, do you know Him? Not do you know He exists or, or know the historical Jesus, but do you know Him? Do you love Him? And do you know that He loves you? And do, does He know you? Is there a good relationship there? You may not ever know all there is to know about God. I said that earlier but are you seeking to learn? Are you seeking to know? Do you push yourself to, to read His Word, to study His commands? Do you, do you know enough that if you were on the dating game or the newlywed game with Jesus, you wouldn't be the partner that knows absolutely nothing and you guys lose the contest? Do you remember that show? It was so humiliating and awkward just to watch that. The wife would be like, I said I said steam carrots. What? What is that? You know, <laughs> she's mad because he didn't know her favorite food. You know, know Jesus. Do you know him well enough? And finally, have you spent time thanking him lately? What are you thankful for? Are you just thankful for all the stuff he's given? Are you thankful for, for all the things you're blessed with? Stuff that will one day rot or rust or run away? Or are you thankful for the things he's given you and blessed you with that nobody can ever take away? And how does your life reflect that thankfulness? We're going to close in worship today. We're going to close in song. And I just would like you to think about that. Christ died for our sins that we might have an intimate relationship with the holiest being in all the universe. What are you doing with that information? Will you stand this morning as we sing?